We're in a series called The Church on Fire, and we're closing it out today, Acts 27. Acts 27, I want to read verse 1 that sets the stage. 27 verse 1 says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. I want to jump down to verse 8 of 27 and read all the way to 28 verse 6. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid, much more, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul had said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on a chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gent uh, gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to, to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supporters to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. You have to know sailing to understand some of this. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete, and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told but we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern. And prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, 
Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to, be perish, is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man was a murderer. Though he has escaped from sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, took, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Pubilus, who, was rece who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Pubilus lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Let me pray for God's word as it's preached. Jesus, thank you for Aaron, your servant, and I ask that you would empower him with wisdom, courage, understanding, clarity, and passion to preach your word for us this morning. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Trev. Uh, we get to wrap up a series, and, and it's fitting that we are closing the book of Acts on what is arguably our last kind of normal themed Sunday for the year. Uh, because, you know, there's something about the book of Acts, which it's cover to cover, front to back. We've been, we've been talking about it's the church on fire. And, and on one hand, it's a story that's coming to an end. But on the other hand, it's a story that continues to this day. That the book of Acts is, is not about, it doesn't circle around characters. It circles around the church. And I would argue the main character is the Holy Spirit how he empowers, moves, and uses the church. And we've been using this metaphorically, but the church on fire has been sparked by the Holy Spirit and moving like wildfire. And we continue to see that building throughout its pages as in the opening scenes where Jesus goes, okay, I'm, I'm heading up. My work is now your work. And I'm sending you the Spirit to do it. 
and we see that going throughout the world, even under adversity and hardship, making its way even to the epicenter of the ancient world, which is now Rome, where Paul's essentially going to land at the end of chapter 28. Now, we're covering two chapters in one Sunday, and so let me just, for those of you who, who like a sense of completeness, here's how the book ends. Uh, they, they land on the island of Malta, where they spend the winter there. They're able to, all 276 that are mentioned in the story we just read, they're able to pick up a ship, go back to land. They kind of limp along towards Rome, where Paul remains the rest of the, his days in the book of Acts under house arrest, ministering to the people in Rome. And church history then picks up what is not written in Acts, where we understand this. That, that Paul is martyred for his faith, beheaded as a Roman citizen under Emperor Nero. Now, I love that the book doesn't end that way for two reasons. One, it's a little more friendly for family reading. But moreover, that it, it actually just ends, and Paul lands in Rome ministering to the church. Dot, dot, dot. This book continues, and you're part of it. It's a book about how the gospel is sparked and spreads out throughout the world and will continue to do so until the day that Jesus is like, my work is done. Come on in. And it's in that spirit that I actually want us to close up this book by going, we are challenged to do this, to do this church. If, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And if you're not, listen in because if, if you're ever considering following Jesus, this is the job description. We're called to keep going. I think it's really fitting that we're having this, this message today because um, I, I would venture to guess most of you are feeling like this. One more week. Just one more week and then I can breathe. You know, unless you really dread going to the in-laws, then Boxing Day and then we can breathe. You know, I, I, if you're a parent, you know that to be true. Your kids are a little squirrely right now. Like my... Our rhythms at our home, I'm the last to go to bed, first to get up. I, I shut down the house. I start it up. But you know what? My kids have been beating me every day, and they, I find them parked under the Christmas tree every morning. <laughs> and I ask them, what are you doing? They're like, we're envisioning opening the gifts. <laughs> like, part of me, like, warms my heart. Part of me is like, seriously? Like, commercialism is just, like, seeped into our home, but okay, cool. And they're, like, holding them. And you know, Anyway, uh, and pray for teachers this week, by the way. <laughs> you know, you know they're phoning it in. It's like three days of, of movies and coloring sheets, and they're just going, oh, we're almost there. But I know that's all of us. We are not called to end poorly. We're called to run well. We're called to continue. Like so many of us, we, like, we, we flop into the holidays and we limp into the new year. And that's not a good metaphor or image of a Christian life. You know, it, Jesus hands the baton to his disciples. The disciples to the early church. And the early church, by the way, by extension to us. This book is not ended. And I almost wonder if there's going to be chapters and, and stories and chronicles that we'll get to see, hear, and celebrate once we're with our Savior in glory. Because there's, there's a story being told throughout our city, throughout our country, throughout the globe of what God is doing right now. And we're a part of it. 
That's the book of Acts. And we're called to continue. We're called to actually, the word I want to use is endure. And I want to use that specifically because we, we, we actually use it too lightly in our culture. We think of endurance sports. We think of, you know, just that, that picture of somebody running for a long time. Actually, endurance means to suffer patiently. Go look it up. That's its meaning. And some of you are like, that's actually pretty accurate to, to long distance running. Like, it, it's the picture of continue on, continuing on. That's how the book of Acts closes. And church, that's, that's how we're going to close our time in Scripture as a church family this year. We're going to continue on, continuing on. We are, and even if we're called to, we're going to suffer patiently. Why? Because those are the ongoing chapters of this book. That's the ongoing calling of the church. Now, I, I want to use this story because I, I love Acts because it's a story. Like, pray for me when we get to Haggai in, in February. You know, Trev's in his element. Aaron's going to flounder a little bit. But I love a good story because it just, it preaches well. You, know, you, you picture, to, to recap, if you're jumping in this series or you're not familiar with the book of Acts, we've seen the, the gospel that is the good news of Jesus. It is pushing out all over the place like wildfire. And, and we've come to essentially this moment because Paul has been, you know, he's been bouncing from court to court. You know, it's kind of his, his hearing, minor claims, to higher courts, to eventually he's peeled to the Supreme Court, which is Caesar. And he's, he's basically in prisoner transportation to go to Caesar in Rome where he's going to have his court tried once and for all. And, and this is no small vessel. 276 persons. This is, this is large. This is dependable. This is, this is a big deal. It's full of cargo. It's full for trading. It's got prisoners and transport. It's got soldiers. It's got a centurion. So you know he's got about 100 men under his command at the helm. All this is happening. And then, and then we got Paul. Not only that, Paul's got his entourage. Luke is there. He's recording this. You know, that's when you don't want to be the friend of the guy in jail. And we see that in this story, like, again, what, what is the aim? We, we see it very clearly when an angel appears to him. You're, you're to go to Rome and appeal to Caesar. Paul, you're not done. Actually, I love that most commentaries and scholars would actually refer to this as, as Paul's fourth and final missionary tour. I love that. Some would just say there was three because there's three intentional, you know, tours that he did to encourage and build up the church. But they're like, no, this is the fourth. He might have been in prison, he might have been in chains, but he's no less active as a worker for the gospel. And God's still using him. You know, in this, he's enduring. In fact, we, we see this. So again, catching up with the story. Paul's on his way. He's heading toward Roman prison. Uh, and, and there's nothing in this, this moment where he tells the centurion, and we kind of get the impression that the boat owner, and when it says pilot, think captain. But pilot would have been somebody who navigated the seas using the stars, using the landmarks, use, you know, familiar with the sky, because it's not like they had GPS or sonar and that kind of stuff. And so as a team, they would navigate, they would set sail, and they would, they would orchestrate these big uh, endeavors to travel long distances over sea. And, and Paul's speaking to them going, guys, I really don't think we should go. And, and we're given no indication that the Holy Spirit, that God has told him, God, you know, Paul, just tell these guys we need, to, we need to wait. 
And of course, the centurion, it says that he, rather than listening to Paul, he listened to the owner of the ship, he listened to the pilot, the captain, which makes sense. You know, here's, here's this gospel preaching dude in chains. What does he know? And, and, and you have to ask yourself, what does Paul know? It alludes to two things in the text. Very subtly, but they're there. It, it's well into the winter season where everybody in that region would know that's when you don't sail. Bad idea. Really rough seas. A lot of scholars would say this was about, you know, early to mid-November, which anyone in the ancient world would have been like, that's when you lock up the ships in harbor, you winter there, you hang tight, you don't go sailing. So there's some common sense. But also, if you go look at Paul's history, and he mentions this, by the way, in, in, uh, in his writing to the Corinthian church, he's like, I've been shipwrecked before. Guys, I, I, I got a feeling this is a bad idea. I've got some experience about when the boat breaks up and we all find ourselves on land by God's grace. I don't want to do it again. And he's going, guys, I just don't think it's a good idea. If you've ever been in a season where you've just known in your gut, or perhaps you've known with a word of knowledge, or perhaps you've known with common sense or intelligence or wisdom, that now is not the time to rush ahead, you should listen to it. You know, you've ever, ever been in that place? That undesirable feeling where, you know, like, and let's, let's be honest, there are many times where the task we're given, we just want to shirk that off our shoulders and move forward. Now, I can't wait to be done with this. But it seems like everything around us is saying, hold fast, be still, and wait. Have endurance. Suffer patiently. You know, Paul, he, he's eager to get to Rome, but by the way, Paul's also like, guys, he writes to the church. You can see it all over. They're called the epistles. That's just, that means letters. Let's use the word letters. Um, th those are the extra uh, books of your New Testament where he writes to the church. He's often saying, like, I'm awaiting my end. He's referencing Rome. He's not like, guys, I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to win it over. He's going, I'm probably going to die. So he's not rushing to that, but he's being faithful to it. But we see that the centurion is like, man, I just want to get this over with. We see that the owner of the ship is probably thinking profits. We see that the captain is like, man, if we can just rush this uh, through, we can, we can get a little further. Now, uh, I, I won't have a map behind me because I'm not Corey. <laughs> but if I could help you with this. In the Mediterranean Sea, the, the island of Crete is large. And that's where they're, they're landed at Fairhaven come wintertime. And you, you, when you hear the word Fairhaven, like, you're like, wouldn't you want to stay there? That sounds pleasant. No big population lives in a place called Fairhaven. It wasn't suitable to winter in. It wasn't a place they wanted to stay. And all they were thinking was, hey, guys, can we push off and go just a, just a little bit further down on the island of, of Crete? We're not even going to really sail out into the Mediterranean. We just want to just go a little bit further to a better harbor for the winter. And, and that's where we'll land, where we can winter well. I mean, that is a good plan. That is a sound plan. That is a reasonable plan. But Paul's like, guys, let's not, like, let's not do it. We're risking a lot. So it's not like they're being reckless. It's not like they're going, we're going to push off into the middle of the sea. They're like, no, let's just kind of skirt down the coast, harbor somewhere else, and we'll pick this up at the end of winter. And it's in that that they are swept away. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes in life, in those moments where you're too hasty to shirk off the things you don't want to do, 
that you get swept up into big trouble. Or sometimes you're the one, like Paul, planting your feet going, guys, we should wait. But circumstance takes you anyway. Like, I'm encouraged by this story and by many like it. By the way, the motif of a person of God on a boat under the storm, like that, that, that happens a lot in Scripture, by the way. And every single time when we see that picture in Scripture, it's not like God's like, told you so. Well, let's just see if you make it. He's like, I'm with you. You can't, dear Christian, hear this. You can't mess up your life. You, you can go all sorts of directions and get detoured. But he's with you. You know, it's like GPS. When you make a bad turn, what does it say? Recalculating. It doesn't go, you idiot. You know, or Siri, I quit. Clearly you can't pay attention. Just, I love it. It's so gentle and encouraging. Like if you, that's why you get it to, to direct you and not your spouse. Because it's just like recalculating. <laughs> it's okay, Aaron. I still love you. Rachel's downstairs. The Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I, I, waiting would have been better, but I'm still with you. And we see this move forward in the text. Like, you got to love this. Okay, so now we're in the thick of the story. Paul is on the ship. Everything is going haywire. Like, imagine this. When you are throwing over your cargo, like, that, that's your profits. That's the reason you left. And you're like, and if, and if you're not a sailor like me, you know, and you're like, why do they do that? It's like, let, let's lighten the ship. Let's make it more buoyant because the, the farther we sit down the waves, the more likely we are to get swamped by the waves. Okay, so it makes sense. So they're throwing it over going like, my life is more valuable than profit. And then they throw over the tackle. They're like, fishermen, that's not for fishing. That's the, the stuff they use to operate the boat. Like, pretty soon, and, and when they have no stars, no sun, no sky, it's just this picture of this massive storm closing in. It's not letting up. It's not re relenting in any way. They're just hopeless on this large dinghy out at sea going like, it's a matter of time before we run out of food or we drown. And in that, the Lord speaks to Paul. And he's like, Paul, you're going to Rome. And tell everybody that not a life will be... He actually says, I've given them to you. Like, like tell them that, that the favor that I have on you extends to them as well. This ship will make it to shore. And, and you got to love Paul. Like, how does he present the news? I told you so. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like I just go, this guy is brazen sometimes. You know, to, to soldiers and to sailors... You know, I, I still imagine Paul's got chains on. He kind of shuffles on deck. Guys, seriously, tisk, tisk, tisk. <laughs> but good news. I just spoke, I, I spoke with a messenger from the God above all gods, my God, my Savior, that we're going to be okay. Not a single life is lost. Now, now hear this. Paul could have used that so many ways. He could have been like, you know what, guys? I'm going to be okay. I don't know about you. Kicked up his feet and just waited it out. I've been shipwrecked before, and it came together. 
you know, I appreciate, we almost see Paul acting in a wisdom that, that is contrary to, to how Paul has acted before. But imagine this. This, this book spans 30 plus years. And, and Paul is nearing or possibly at the age of 60 at this time. Like he's like, man, I, I've been around. I know God's got this. Like if you are young in faith, I encourage you this. Write down the stuff you see God do, even if it's in the lives of others, because you need to be reminded of that. When he is faithful, be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that came together. We'll be okay. You know, because when the storm hits, what do you think? I got to survive. And, and what do the sailors do? What do the soldiers do? They're, they're not doing bad things. The story reads to us like, man, these guys are running around frantic. They're looking like, like kind of foolish. No, they're, they're doing all the right things. They're being proactive. They're, they're taking matters into their hands that they can control. They're lightening the, the ship. They're, they're doing it in priority. They're, when it says that they're measuring the fathoms, that's like we, we, we are blind to everything except for the depth of the water. And, and the protocol would say, by the way, I don't think they had safety meetings in the ancient world. But there was still a protocol when you were a sailor on the ship that, hey, when everything is like almost lost, there is a time when you get on the, the life raft and then you hope to get to shore. And that's what they were measuring for. Like everything they're doing, these are good, sound, reasonable things. And yet God, in the middle of all that, says, no, 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 I don't want you to get out. I want you to endure. You know, church, we got to stop thinking about how can we escape hardship and more, Lord, what are you trying to do in the hardship? And, and that's, man, that's a word to me as it is to anyone else because because sometimes I'm a planner. Anyone else a planner in the room? You know, my, my superpower is get me in a room with my thinking cap and I'll come up with 10 plans. And the Lord will be like, wasted time because I'm not using any of those. <laughs> but it soothes my conscience. And Paul's just learned after many years of walking with the Lord and in wisdom that, you know what? I, I don't really need a plan because God's plan is going to be way cooler. And, and it doesn't really tell us, but we kind of get a picture that where Paul is perhaps not relaxed, but at least in a place of trusting. I don't know if you can relax on a boat that is rocking. It's being assaulted by waves and storms and rain. And there's the, like, if you've ever been on a ship where you think it might capsize, which many of us haven't, but like, you know, a paddle boat that's a little rocky, whitewater rafting, anything. And you're like, man, if I go over, that's scary. Time's up by a thousand. This thing is going to break up, and I am doomed. Now, Paul in that moment's like, guys, I've got a sure word that, that we're going to be okay. And even so much so that when the, he sees that the sailors are lowering the raft, he's like, don't. Because the Lord said that we're all going to make it out. But if you go, that, that promise doesn't extend to the rest of the people on the ship. Like, and the fact that they cut loose the raft, to me, says tremendous things. Like, why would you, Paul, know anything? Like, they were just scared. That's my assumption. When a sailor gives up all their knowledge, when a soldier, you know, breaks the chain of command, when it's like, all we got, okay, cut the life raft. We're, like, we're throwing in our lot with this guy. And then when they, in that moment, put all their faith, all their hope, all their trust, or maybe it's just 
resigning themselves to whatever doom or fate that's coming, what does Paul do? This is what I love. It, it says he gathers them around, he breaks bread, gives thanks, and encourages them. Does that look like anything else to you? Like, in a moment where the world seemed most out of control, Paul's like, guys, come, come together. Let's break bread, give thanks, and eat. And it says that they were encouraged. You know, on the night Jesus was betrayed, nothing looked more out of control than what was going on. And, and, and the only one who, who seemed to know what, what was happening was Jesus. In, in a moment, you're, you're going to have opportunity, as we do every other week, to approach the Lord's table. And I don't know where your lives are at, but I, I can tell you this. It's, it's holiday season, and that's where most people's lives feel pretty rocky. You know, if, if you're one of those people that's like, man, this is sweet, everything's great, family and extended family is all in harmony, consider yourself blessed. You are, you are, you're in the minority, and I'm not saying that to knock families. I'm just saying that as a, as a fact. And you can go, Lord, at your table, in your family, no matter all this chaos, I know you are my refuge. I know you're here with me on the boat. And I know you're going to see it safely to where it needs to be. And you know what's really cool? It, maybe it's just cool for nerds. But the, they, they crash land into the island of Malta. And again, if you had a map, it's this tiny little island in the Mediterranean Sea. The last chance that you would have to hit anything before you get washed out completely. God miraculously steers them to the last refuge. And, and arguably, there, there's two, uh, the name Malta has two etymology roots one would be, it's sweet like honey, also a place of refuge. And I'm going, it's probably both. You know, they're, they're running underground and kissing it like this is honey to our lips. Like we are, we are off the crazy ship. And this is a refuge. You know, we celebrate when we come to the table. Jesus, you're our refuge. In this life and one day, complete. And you got to love that in the middle of all this, it, it's, not like, it's not like it's over. So imagine this. It says that they run aground. The, the, the bow, that's the front of the ship, is deep into the sand. And the back end, the stern, is getting whipped around by the wave. So it's breaking up. And so they're like, we, it's, not an, it's not an orderly exit. Like they, they give you this, you know, understanding that in the event our plane crashes, it ever be rain calm, the doors are going to open. You know that's not going to happen. You know, there are these little cool slides will enter out the You're like, no. Like it's, it's like everybody get off. And what do they want to do? Let's kill the prisoners. Because if, if as guards you do not see them to their final fate, injustice, that which they're owed, the debt, is, it falls on you. And so, like, better they die now than we die later. And yet, God pre preserves Paul in his life. He's like, no, we, we can go to shore. He says that they brought, or, or brought, they didn't bring with them. Essentially, they did. But the broken up pieces of the ship, they used that to get to shore. By the way, if you want a biblical account for surfing, there's your argument. <laughs> I stole that from another pastor, but I thought, Amen. 
And in the place of refuge where you would think, oh, thank you, thank you, Lord, we're okay. And then snakes. Like, I, I had to include that in the reading. Not just because it because <laughs> you can almost imagine Paul. He's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been falsely accused, he's, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked. This is now the third time. And he gets to shore, and, and by the way, you've you got to love that he's, he's not just on shore being like, told you, told you not to go, and told you when you did go, stay on the boat, we'd be okay. Like he could, This could have been his soapbox moment, but instead, what is he doing? He's giving himself to menial tasks, he's pitching in, he's grabbing firewood. This is an argument why lead pastors should not do the menial task, because there might be snakes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, he, and he's collecting the firewood, and what happens? A viper it says grabs hold of his hand, and commentators would say, like, like, clearly strikes him. That's why every, you know, everyone familiar with the region was like, you're dead. Like, we've seen this before, and those, those guys don't come back. And you got to love, like, this is not just the islanders. This is human nature, and they give a reason to it. You must have been a murderer. Because you've escaped justice, but justice has found you. Now, quick pause. But we think that way, don't we? You know, something terrible happens to somebody we know. On the outside, we're like, oh, that's so bad. Inward, you're like, hmm, maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe they deserved it. Maybe this, the word my mom used growing up, this might be their comeuppance. Anyone else grew up with that? That's, that's not the gospel. That's karma. And, and, and it, it, it weeds itself into our belief system. We need to weed it out. It's this idea that if I do good things, good things will happen to me. And if I do bad things, they'll find me out. That principle, in a sense, sometimes feels true. But that's not how God's judgment worked. Because here's the thing. He was a murderer. Go back a few chapters and hear his own testimony where he's like, guys, here's who I was before Jesus. I persecuted the church. When there was times where we would throw in our vote, whether it was life or death, I thrown mine in for death. And I saw those who are followers of Christ die for their faith, and I stood in applause. That's, that's who Saul of Tarsus was. He was a murderer. And they're all sitting around waiting for him to, to fall down dead. And then he doesn't. And then notice how they flip-flop? Well, he's not, he's not a murderer. He must be a god. Like, these, these are just polar extremes for these people. Like, you, you survived the unsurvi- unsurvivable. How did you do that? And again, this is us trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. And, and here's what I want you to see in the text. And here's what I want us to hold in our hearts as we approach both the communion table and our continuation as God's people. You know, life's full of snakes. Right from the opening pages of the Bible. And Jesus, God's promise as we fall into rebellion, Genesis chapter 3, is not, don't worry, you're going to learn how to, to, to outwit snakes. He's like, no, they're going to continue to bite but there will be one who crushes the head. In other words, who takes on the venom. Like, here's, here's just a cool thing. I had to, like, I went into the, the Google rabbit trail for this. But you can do it yourself later on, on if you want. But if a venomous snake 
bites enough times, it, it will deplete itself of venom. And its, its bite, although painful, will no longer hold a death sting. Jesus takes on all the venom so that, yeah, you know what? Life's going to bite, but the venom's gone for those who are in faith in him. Like, that, that's the promise. And what, what a great picture, what a great metaphor, because you know what? I would love to tell you, and, and like in, in all sincerity, I wish I could preach this. You, you know, put your hope in Jesus, and life's just going to be okay. You know, all those friends you know who are fighting, they're going to make up. All those worries you have, they're going to they're work themselves out. All those health problems you got, don't worry, it's going to come back with good test results. Like, like sorry, no, I can't. Life is going to be exactly the same. And actually, Jesus says, chances are it might even be harder. But the difference is this. Life's still going to bite, but I've taken out the venom. That final sting of death, that Jesus said, that, that, that one's mine. So that you can be with me. That actually, I can be with you now and one day in completeness. And, and I love that picture because, you know, people have taken this all kinds of sideways. If you were to actually open up to Mark 16, verse 18 to 20, Jesus says, you'll, you'll pick up snakes and they won't harm you. And now there's some that have taken that literally. And, and, and there's churches where, you know, like part of their worship is they pass around venomous snakes. By the way, we're not one of those. <laughs> if anyone's new and going like, when does that happen? It doesn't. I also think I might be in jail if it did. That's not what he's saying. It's a picture of, like, the snake is consistently the metaphor, the motif, the image, the symbol of evil that is just going to be present in the world and a reality until it's very close. But don't worry, it's still out there, but it's venomless now for those who are in Jesus. And you know what? It's going to bite you, but it's not going to take you out. Paul does not get bitten and go, seriously, God? Come on. He says he shakes it off into the fire where it's supposed to be. And he keeps on going. That's what we're supposed to do, church. Now, I, I am very much aware of this. Not, not going like I know every single story. I just know in a room this big, it has to be true. There's some of you who are like, man, life is really snapping at me and, and hurting right now. There is all sorts of snakiness. And I'm just encouraging you as you approach the Lord's table to be like, Jesus, I am trusting that through your body broken and your bloodshed, you took the venom for me. So that I can patiently suffer. I can wait and endure for that day when I'm with you incomplete. And for some of you, I know you perhaps don't have a faith in Jesus yet. And you're going, man, that venom feels really real. And I would invite you to a prayer this morning to be like, Jesus... You, you might not promise to remove the snakes yet, but you can take the venom out now. I'm willing to trust you in that. See what he'll do with that. See what life will be like with that. Because what I, I love about how this book closes is that Paul, he doesn't get to retire. He faithfully serves until, until his last days. Church, that's, that's, that's us. And, and I don't know what season we're in right now. 
this time of year always feels sweet, but you know what? There's always an anxiety in me because you know what? We're building to a new year. What does that mean? God, what do we do? God, I'm a planner and I want to run. I don't, like, if you pray for me, and I know many of you do, you can pray this. Lord, teach Aaron to just hear from you because this is what I do. I think I got a plan. Jesus, bless my plan. <laughs> and sometimes it works out. It's like almost as if God was like, cool, we'll, we'll go with that. And sometimes it's like, oh, Aaron, when you get hurt later and you're slow and, and you're nursing that wound, then maybe you'll hear me. And I want to do that less. I want to hear from him more. But I don't want to stop going. Church, I want us to continue on. In fact, even this morning, we had someone from the community drop in. Uh, they, were, they were just bringing some donations for the families we were supporting. And, and, and simply said this, I've seen you guys here for years. And now we're praying, or sorry, they didn't say praying. Now we're thinking about maybe coming to visit the church. And I'm like, you know what? Next week is a, is a great week. It's going to be lots of new faces. Maybe you should try that. And, and, and it just reminded me, like, Jesus, what, what, what was that? Continuing on. Don't underestimate faithful endurance to what God's called us to do. Let me pray. And as the music team comes up, you're invited that if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is, is for you. That you can come, grab the elements, and return to your seat. Pastor Trevor is going to come up and lead us in communion in about a song or two. So let me pray. Father, I, I pray that anything that was just Aaron would fall to the wayside, but Lord, your word would remain in our hearts and you would give us a picture of faithful endurance that, that isn't plodding, that isn't drudgery, but Lord, is exciting because God, you promise that even if it's a storm, you'll be with us. And even at the end of the storm, there is a refuge. And even in the refuge, God, where, where things can still hurt and things can still bite, Lord, the sting is removed that, Lord Jesus, you have won a victory for our lives and, and Lord, given us an everlasting victory in your son. Thank you that we can celebrate that, that we can be mindful of that, that we can anchor ourselves in that again through your table. And I pray as we do, I pray we would see that we're not people who read the book, but Lord, we're, we're, we get to write its chapters in our lives and our faithfulness following you. And I pray that through Mission Hill and, and gospel-centered, faithful churches, we would see that, that wildfire continuing to spread around the globe throughout the ages. In Jesus' name, amen.